0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast,
1: coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Sanford University. Now your host, Doug Sweeney.
0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, and I am joined today by Beeson's 2023 Alumnus of the Year, Oleg Turlock. Oleg leads Turlock Mission. He's preached the gospel in 34 countries, 13 of which are former republics of the Soviet Union. Oleg is from Moldova and has ministered for the past two years to refugees from Ukraine in surrounding nations, including the Czech Republic, Poland, Slovakia, and other countries as well. Brother uh, Oleg, thank you very much for being with us on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Why don't we begin? I think some of our listeners know you already, but just for those who don't, just tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, Where did you grow up? How'd you come to know the Lord and get involved in Christian ministry?
1: Uh, I was born in the uh, Soviet Union, uh, the communist country. Um, And I like to call myself a stranger in the land because um, though I was born in uh, Soviet Russia, I'm uh, Bulgarian by heritage. My uh, ancestors moved from the Ottoman Empire and settled in the Russian Empire. And then my uh, grandparents moved to, from Ukraine uh, to Moldova, where I was born. But at the time of my birth, uh, the Soviet Union um, uh, had the dominant atheist, uh, atheistic ideology. And so uh, it was uh, quite a tough time for someone from a christian family to attend school or even to be called christian Uh, i was uh, the only christian child in my class and uh, my heritage is a heritage of the persecuted church my great-grandfather he was a pastor in southern ukraine of a Uh, Baptist Church, and uh, just for being a preacher of the gospel, he was sentenced for uh, 10 years of uh, Stalin's gulag camps. So like one night, a black truck came to my great-grandparents' home, and he was taken away for long, uh, 10 years of the uh, Siberian camps. My grandfather had to spend five years behind bars for being a Christian, and my parents, um, just because they were faithful to Jesus Christ, They were denied any opportunity to receive um, higher education, didn't go to college or university. So I grew up in these circumstances where Bibles were scars. I longed to have my own personal Bible, a copy of the Bible, but couldn't have it. And uh, just seeing that uh, heritage of faith in my family, of how faithful they were to Christ in spite of uh, tremendous persecution, Um, I decided to dedicate my life to Jesus and I did it, did so early on in 1987. I was only 11, but I decided to uh, follow Christ. Um, at that time, uh, a deacon at the church that we were attending, uh, he gave me a precious copy of the New Testament. Couldn't get the whole copy of the whole Bible, but just the New Testament that was probably smuggled from from abroad. And I treasured that copy of the New Testament just like maybe a teenager at this time would uh, treasure an iPhone 15 that they would be Mm -hmm. uh, gifted. And I read that New Testament, you know, from the Gospel of Matthew to the Book of Revelations. And that book became... uh, Precious to me and continues to be the most precious thing in my life until until now. And uh, just through the reading of the scripture, seeing the minister of Jesus, seeing the work that Apostle Paul did um uh, in um uh, in the uh, in the uh, cities of the Roman empire um his epistles to churches things that he went through i kind of ad- identified with those experiences and i wanted to serve the lord so in 1992 i started uh, my preaching ministry i was quite young barely 16 years old and uh, preached my first sermon in a fairly large uh, church, and uh, since then I've been preaching the gospel uh, all over the uh, former Soviet Union, and um, I'm glad I chose this uh, wonderful and privileged vocation.
0: Mm. That's wonderful. Uh, so many more questions we could ask about your past, but I think um, the main thing I want our listeners to know about you and your ministry has to do with the present because you're involved in such urgent gospel ministry work uh, in and around Ukraine right now. So let me kind of fast forward us to almost uh, the present day and ask you about February the 24th, 2022, over a year and a half ago. Now the day that Russia invaded Ukraine, um, What happened for you on that day? What went through your mind? What did you start to think about uh, in terms of your own ministry in Europe?
1: Well, I remember that day quite vividly, actually, uh, here in Canada, where I am now. Um, uh, It was February 23rd, uh, it was in the evening, and uh, I remember that uh, the children and uh, Natasha, my wife, already uh, went to bed and... uh, I think that God, God just kept me kept me awake. And usually I don't turn the TV this late at night, but I decided to turn it on, and uh, I just saw the news broadcast that uh, Russia just started bombing Kiev and uh, other cities in Ukraine, and so my heart ached and uh, uh, remained heavy since that that minute. Uh, At first, it was a shock because uh, though there were signs that the war was imminent, uh, we didn't believe that such war was possible between the two nations that kind of share common heritage, uh, both Russia and Ukraine, uh, Slavic nations. there are very close family ties between both nations. Uh, so it's like, uh, imagine if, uh, let's say, Alabama and Mississippi went to war with each other. Uh, it, it was it was a shock at first. Uh, and then my phone started ringing nonstop mm. because uh, people needed uh, evacuation. Then I, we started receiving phone calls from uh, Ukrainians who lived in countries all over the world that had relatives in Ukraine, they started asking for help. And so uh, our apartment here in Toronto became uh, like a hub for connecting uh, people with other people, uh, connecting people to churches back in Ukraine, in Moldova, in Poland, in other countries. Uh, We started sending uh, financial aid to churches in Moldova and other nations that were prepared to assist Ukrainian refugees that were already crossing the frontiers uh, uh, into Eastern Europe, into Moldova, Poland, uh, Slovakia, Hungary, uh, and other countries. Uh, We got in touch with partners um, in churches in the north and south of Moldova, and we set up uh, tents uh, to welcome uh, Ukrainian refugees. We served them hot tea, uh, uh, lunches, uh, assisted them with transportation. Transportation was a big, big thing at first. We provided money for, for the fuel And, uh, you know, for the first three days, it was almost 24-7 time of ministry uh, for us. And, of course, uh, a few few weeks later, I myself went to Eastern Europe, to uh, Poland, where, uh, in cooperation with the Evangelical Church in Warsaw, we set up uh, the uh, help center for refugees, and uh, we started providing... Uh, food, clothes, medicine uh, and whatever was needed uh, for the refugees. Uh, my brother and I went uh, and set up a tent in the, at the uh, Warsaw train station. And you will not believe, but like every half an hour, tra- either train or bus were mm-hmm. arriving at that uh, uh, train or bus station. And uh, people were getting off, scared, uh, haven't traveled uh, for days. Um, and so they needed welcome, they needed uh, uh, tea, uh, hot food. And so we provided that uh, for them. Uh, initially, we were overwhelmed, but as days went by, Uh, That work became organized, and uh, we tried to do everything we could to meet uh, the need of every person that appealed to us for help.
0: Clearly, nobody was ready for that day, Uh, but you had been active in ministry in that part of the world for some time. How much change just to the structure of your ministry did you have to put into effect quickly after the Russian invasion? Did you have sort of habits and systems and so on in place that enabled you very nimbly to respond to these needs? Or did you find yourself all of a sudden having to kind of build new ministry structures so that you could provide for these new needs?
1: I guess to some degree it was both. I mean, the good thing uh, was that we had a wide network of churches with uh, which we cooperated. Uh, Then for nearly 10 years, I was teaching at the Bible College in uh, Moldova and quite a few of my graduates are pastoring churches all over Moldova, Ukraine, Central Asia, all over the former Soviet Union. So in a way, it was easy to just reach out to them and involve them in uh, this network of helping the uh, Ukrainians. on the other hand, uh, yes, we had to um, make Ukraine for a while the primary focus of our of our ministry, uh, while keeping up with other areas of ministry, like you know, ministry to the persecuted church, and the trafficking ministry to women, in Moldova, ministry to the autistic kids. Uh, but you know, uh, as times went by, we kind of found a way to. Um, fit this minister to the Ukrainians uh, into the whole framework of our ministries. Because let's say the minister to refugees and anti-trafficking ministry among women became connected because, you know, this war situation uh, fueled uh, and raised the number of uh, vulnerable women to human trafficking. And uh, that became, you know, a wider avenue for ministry, let's say, in Moldova, in Poland and, and other countries.
0: Uh, speaking of the, the refugees, you've alluded to your ministry among them a couple of times. Um, give our listeners a feel for uh, what the state of the challenge is now for Christians trying to take good care of Ukrainian refugees. Um, Are they spreading all over Europe? Are they mostly in places like Poland? And then just more practically, uh, how have you and your associates been able to kind of step in uh, and meet some of the ministry needs among them? And how have they been responding? Is it going well? Are there huge challenges that our people need to be knowing about and supporting and praying for? What's going on just with the refugees in particular?
1: It is estimated that between 10 uh, to 14 million Ukrainians left uh, the country. Uh, Most of them settled in Eastern Europe. Uh, Poland took in over 2 million refugees. Uh, Czech Republic uh, took in about uh, half a million. Uh, We have Ukrainian refugees here in Canada. About half a million Ukrainians ended up in in, uh, Canada and Toronto took... uh, A huge number of them. So we've been uh, helping them by uh, handing them food cards, uh, providing clothing for them, then, you know, going to them uh, with them to. Uh, different kind of medical tests that they need in order to obtain all kinds of paperwork. Um, we contacted local employ- employers uh, to pr- to provide uh, workplaces for the for the Ukrainians. Um, I guess uh, by now you can find Ukrainians probably in every uh, European country but the bulk of them them settled uh, in uh, Poland, Slovakia, Czech Republic, And uh, also uh, many of them ended up in Russia and uh, not many of our listeners in the West know about that because uh, folks from Eastern Ukraine, they had nowhere to go except Mm. for go into into Russia. And uh, we're blessed to have uh, friends in Russia, Christian friends, churches in Russia that help uh, those Ukrainians that ended up on the on the Russian territory, although. uh, the, uh, uh, the the Russian army and Russian authorities uh, invaded Ukraine and uh, uh, this whole uh, war was, was started. There are many uh, uh, Russians who don't like the fact that the war is going on and they are praying for peace. And uh, many of our Russian brothers and sisters are helping Ukrainians. Uh, as well. Uh, a lot of work among Ukrainian refugees uh, centered in Poland, with uh, the Warsaw Bible Church becoming one of the major hubs of uh, helping uh, Ukrainian Christians and uh, Ukrainians in, in general. It was interesting that uh, that church numbered only 25 members prior to the war. And overnight, the uh, number of people attending the uh, Sunday morning worship service jumped to nearly 800. Wow. Uh, It was like a huge, huge, huge growth because, you know, people just needed help. And uh, people, when they're vulnerable, uh, they open up to the preaching of the gospel. They start seeking God when they can't rely on uh, earthly riches on uh the systems that they were that they u- were used to that no longer exist they just naturally seek god and they go um uh to church and uh it was wonderful that uh we ha- we had one, uh, great partners there so they provided space and uh we along with many other mission organizations supplied food uh, clothes uh we supplied Christmas kids, uh, Christmas gifts for, for children. We supplied heaters for Ukrainians because uh, it was hard for them to survive without heat in the winter. And then, you know, once uh, the dam in Kachovka in Ukraine was blown up, that created a natural disaster. So water, fresh water uh, became uh, a big, big concern for Ukrainians. So we provided a huge one-ton cisterns for ukrainians inside the country and also we continue to support pastors inside ukraine there were pastors that left together with uh, their church members Um, the baptist union of ukraine gives numbers like um, they say that uh, over 40 church buildings were destroyed by uh, russian bombs and uh, about 500 churches now uh, just Baptist churches remain under, uh, on the territory which is under Russian occupation. And so all those churches, including churches that are, that exist in the Ukraine that haven't been occupied by Russia, but are constantly bombed, uh, attacked, uh, all those churches have uh, pastors that are still serving the needs of the people. So we try to do everything to support uh, their hands in, in ministry. Also, uh, what we've seen was that a number of Ukrainians returned to the country, uh, especially in uh, 2023. Some were just called by by God to help their own people. Some pastors went back and um they are reporting that uh, there are great numbers of people that would never think of attending church that, that are now coming to churches up to 80% of those in attendance. are now uh, are those people whom we call the, the unchurched and uh that's a great joy um, to to all of us because people are accepting Christ. People are coming not just to receive uh, humanitarian aid, but they come and listen to the gospel. And this is the prime opportune time uh, for mission work in Ukraine, even under these uh, difficult circumstances.
0: Mm. Uh, I'm one of many people who has the privilege of receiving your uh, regular ministry Newsletter and in one of the recent newsletters, you shared a story uh, about Yuri and Anna, Ukrainians in their early 40s who escaped Mariupol and eventually became Christian. Um, it might uh, be an encouragement to our listeners to hear just a little bit about that uh, that couple and how they came to know the Lord.
1: I met Yuri and Anna in uh, Poland and uh, spent quite quite a lot of time with them and uh, tried to do everything to help them and their two daughters. And uh, they escaped Mariupol, which was uh, captured by the Russians. And that's the city that was almost entirely destroyed by the Russian forces. Uh, I think it was a city of about 200,000 people. And today... Uh, According to the information that I have there are fewer than 10,000 people that uh, live there but uh, Yuri and Anna uh, they uh, were barely able to escape uh, uh, from from that city and uh, of course when it was heavily bombed they lived in fear they lived in the basement and uh, when there was a break in the bombing uh, they were able to get out of the city which was not not easy. And then they traveled for more than two days uh, through the Ukraine in trains that didn't have any lights uh, during the night because uh, they were afraid that trains would be bombed. Uh, They made it uh, to to Poland. And Yuri and Anna, they didn't know Christ. Uh, Mm -hmm. They were just, you know, secular people. Uh, Yuri was a firefighter. Um, Anna, she was an accountant. But... uh, while in, in Poland, um, they uh, came across uh, some Christians that invited them to attend an evangelical church. And Yuri and Anna decided to, to go. Uh, because um, though they didn't know God, they admitted that they prayed to him. Prayed that, they, that he would save them from the bombs and their two t- t- children. And once they came to church and heard the preaching of the gospel... Uh, they realized that uh God just saved them for for the purpose you know he brought them out of the Ukraine for a very special purpose and he wanted uh to draw uh them uh near to him and they opened their hearts to uh the message of the gospel and they made a decision to follow jesus uh, Jesus christ and uh Right now they are so full of this uh, zeal uh for the Lord. They love to sing, they love to proclaim uh Christ and uh it's just uh, a wonder uh it's it's just uh, amazing just to see uh how how much you know uh this uh, story of escape uh impacted their lives, led them to the Lord. And also now it serves as a testimony to other Ukrainians uh, to whom they are witnessing about Uh, Jesus Christ.
0: Oh, wonderful. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm I'm thinking now, too, it might be helpful to our listeners uh, if we pan back out a bit and let you inform us, educate us uh, a bit on the state of gospel Christianity, evangelical Christianity in and around Ukraine today. There are a lot of people in Ukraine uh, who would profess uh, to be Christian, but a, a relatively small percentage who would be gospel committed uh, people with a, a vital faith in Jesus. Is that right? Tell us just a little bit about the spiritual landscape in Ukraine and how it is that uh, evangelical ministries like yours are trying to kind of step in and make the right kind of difference there. Uh,
1: Most of Ukrainians belong to the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church or Ukrainian Orthodox Church uh, with uh, some of the Western Ukraine, uh, Ukraine's population belonging to the uh, Greek Catholic Church, which is essentially um, holds to the Eastern Orthodox worship style, but uh, reports to the Vatican. And this has to do with, uh, uh Ukrainian history because, you know, a part of Ukraine, the Western part of Ukraine belonged to Poland and Hungary, uh, prior to World War II. And so that's why the, um, uh, this, this, uh, uh, this membership, um, to in different churches is a, a bit, a bit diverse. Uh, but, uh, by about, um, uh, I would say about 1 to 2% of Ukrainians claim to be uh, evangelical. Um, and uh, Ukraine, uh, prior to the war, boasted to have more than 2,000 just Baptist churches, not counting Pentecostal and uh, independent and uh, Methodist churches. Um, and so, um, Uh, Right now, uh, many evangelical evangelical churches are trying to use this uh, uh, time of war uh, to help Ukrainians and also proclaim proclaim the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, Baptists especially see their numbers uh, rising in spite of the war because people are so open to listening to the uh, gospel of uh, Jesus Christ. Moldova is also mostly Eastern Orthodox, just like uh, Russia is. Uh, Moldova boasts the largest number of evangelicals per capita in the whole former Soviet Union, um, but still the number of uh, evangelicals is very low compared to the Eastern Orthodox. Also we minister in uh, Central Asia with the um, Muslim majority uh, population. and. Uh, Over there, the numbers of uh, Christians are very, very small, uh, but uh, they are growing because the church there is persecuted. Uh, The church there in the the countries that we call the stands, uh, formerly uh, Soviet countries of Central Asia, The church lives under severe restrictions, uh, where you cannot like proclaim the gospel openly. Uh, you cannot, uh, start new churches uh and so quite a few believers have to uh, meet in, in homes they have to meet outside under the open skies um if uh, someone wants to be baptized those baptisms are usually baptisms are usually uh, held in in secret or um people just make sure that there is no one around because there'll be uh persecution and uh Uh, I would say that from about 1989 until about the year 2000, uh, those formerly Soviet nations, that territory, experienced uh, tremendous freedom for preaching of the gospel. And uh, it was utilized. It was used by missionaries. Uh, it was used by quite a few uh, American English mission organ- mission organizations to bring the gospel uh, to Russia, to Ukraine, to Moldova. And uh, that's why today uh, we have so many uh, church buildings. that are built with the help from, from the West. That's why we have so many educated pastors today and I'm one of them. I'm so grateful to have, re- have received uh, education in America at Beeson at, uh, Georgetown College and uh, I'm just so grateful to Christians that invested in me and um, now I'm already seeing the students of my students that I've trained that have uh, traveled all over the former Soviet Union and um, that continue to preach the And actually, you know, it's kind of hard to find a place where I go where I wouldn't meet someone that I either trained or someone that would know, uh, maybe a student that that studied uh, under me at the Bible College in in Moldova. So many of them are now uh, pastors and missionaries and uh, uh, teachers. And I am grateful that the work of the gospel continues to thrive. In the formerly so in the formerly communist lands, in spite of uh, the present circumstances. Mm.
0: Well, uh, we are grateful to you, Oleg, for your faithfulness to the Lord and your fruitfulness in ministry and your willingness to go and serve in such difficult circumstances. It's exciting for people uh, like us here at Beeson to watch the Lord multiply our efforts in such wonderful ways uh, in other parts of the world. And we mentioned at the top of the show uh, that uh, you are alumnus of the year in 2023. And of course, after the things that we've been talking about the last 20 minutes, um, that's not very important. <laughs> that pales in comparison uh, to some of the ministry needs that we've been discussing. Uh, but it does allow us uh, to thank the Lord for you and to ask our people uh, to pray in a special way and support you and the work that you're doing in Ukraine and other places uh, and so as we do that and as we get ready to conclude the show, uh, has this interview given you an occasion even just to reflect a little bit about how it was that a school like Beeson might have prepared you uh, to do the work you're doing? In, in what ways uh, has your your ministry in the trenches in the middle of Europe and in Eastern Europe and in Western Asia uh, been strengthened, been helped as a result of your study here at the seminary?
1: I'm grateful for the training that I received at Beeson, for the scholarship that I received uh, to study for the master's degree and then for the doctor of ministry degree, and for so many people that impacted my life, uh, for my beloved professors at Beeson. I remember so well Dr. Thielman, from whom I learned a lot through the New Testament theology class. Dr. Ken Matthews, uh, with whom I uh, studied uh, Hebrew and Old Testament and the book of Isaiah. Dr. Timothy George, um, under whom I studied Calvin's Institutes and who introduced me to the Reformed theology. Bruce Winter, uh, with whom I walked... through Paul's uh, epistles. And also, you know, I remember very practical courses that helped me in my ministry. Bison has wonderful full-time professors and adjunct professors. Larry Michaels was one of the adjunct faculty who taught church planting. And this helped me when I planted a Slavic church right in downtown Toronto. It was a very practical course, hands-on, from which I took a lot. Or Professor Dale Huff. Who, who uh, taught Baptist life and polity? That actually helped me structure um, my church life um, at the church that I planted here in Toronto, and also when I ministered in in Moldova. So, Beeson offered a wonderful blend of theological courses and ministerial courses. And so on one hand, it was a very high quality theology languages uh, training uh, combined with very uh, practical hands-on uh Uh, things that actually helped me in my my, uh, ministry. And also, you know, it wasn't just Beeson or Sanford that impacted me. Uh, The whole Christian community, Baptist community in Birmingham welcomed me. I went to several churches like Mountain Brook Baptist, Shades Crest Baptist, Shades Mountain Baptist, and people, friends from those churches embraced me and my wife, Natasha. They showered us with love. And this was a learning experience for us as well, and you know, I haven't stopped learning since then. I'm still uh, tuning into Beast Chapel services, I enjoy listening to sermons of beloved professors. Or oh, I tune in to Mike Pascarello's broadcasts on YouTube, I love mm. his uh, the preaching life. And the way of the preacher, and they informed my preaching and ministry a great deal. So I'm thankful to Beeson, and I'm continuing to thank God for uh, all the wonderful faculty at uh, the, the teachers at Beeson, and continues to impact lives of students and alumni like me. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I'm about to ask you how our listeners can be praying for you and supporting you in the upcoming months. But uh, before I get to that final question, I want to ask you what we usually ask people at the end of our interviews, and that is a question about what the Lord's doing in your life these days, what the Lord is teaching you uh, even now after all these years of faithfulness to him in ministry. So, uh, Oleg, what's God doing in your life these days? What are you learning that's new?
1: Well, I'm learning that I have to be prepared to serve the Lord in very different circumstances and uh, I just see his plan in my life. Uh, I think that he was preparing me from the very childhood, Uh, having experienced persecution as as a child. I can now minister to those that are persecuted. Uh, Having li- lived in the uh, under uh, the circumstances of the atheistic Soviet Union, where things were scarce, I can understand those who are refugees now, and I can minister to them. I am being taught that I have to be prepared to preach in season and out of season. I have to preach uh whenever I ask. I am asked uh in uh churches, at uh, train stations, on the streets uh to big crowds or even to three or or four people. I'm also learning that Uh, The time that I live in is a time of unexpected crisis, and that kind of teaches me to be um, ready 24-7 to minister to other people. I always have my suitcase packed just in case I have to hit the road. And uh, uh, my slogan or my motto for this year is uh, the text from Isaiah, whom shall I send? And I always respond to the Lord, here I am, Lord, send me, I'm ready to go.
0: Wonderful. All right. So before we conclude, uh, and because uh, you're doing such crucial work right now and our, our listeners really need to get behind it, uh, how can we be praying for you and supporting you in your work?
1: On the personal front, please remember my family. Uh, we have two children, Roman and Victoria. And Roman, our son, is 16 years old and he is autistic and has a, a severe developmental disability. So pray for him and pray for my wife Natasha and I as we um, uh, take care of him, and especially when I'm gone, when I'm gone, when I'll travel on mission, so that the Lord would protect and show His His grace uh, to him. Pray for wisdom for me because I have to preach in different contexts, uh, in different situations, so that the Lord would set His word. Uh, and uh, I would uh, proclaim it not as my word, but but His word, and also pray for safety in travels. You know, there are some countries where I can go in into without any restriction, but there are some very difficult areas in our world where Christ is not welcome, and travel to those countries is quite challenging, especially crossing the borders. I need a lot of wisdom when I cross borders, what to say, uh, when to say things, and when to be silent and let the Lord uh, just act in the hearts of people who uh, let me through uh, the uh, the borders. And just uh, keep me in your prayers because much of my time as a missionary is spent uh, uh, on, on the road. And uh, those of you who might listen to this broadcast, and who are missionaries know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm a missionary. I'm sold out to missions, and uh, I'm asking for prayers that the Lord would help me um, fulfill my dream of preaching the gospel, you know, the gospel in all 15 former republics of the Soviet Union. So far, I've preached in 13, but my dream is to preach Christ in all 15 of them. Mm.
0: You have been listening to Dr. Oleg Turlock. He is Beeson Divinity School's Alumnus of the Year in 2023. Much more importantly than that, he is a faithful minister of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ all around the world. uh, In Toronto, Canada, his home base, and then uh, very importantly these days in Central and Eastern Europe and Western and Central Asia. Please pray for him. Please support our brother Oleg. Thank you for tuning in. We love you. And we say goodbye for now.
1: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from the campus of Samford University. Our theme music is by Advent Birmingham. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our engineer is
0: Rob Willis, and our show host is Doug Sweeney. For more episodes and to subscribe, visit com slash
1: podcast also find the Beeson Podcast on iTunes and Spotify.